Welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I am here again with my wonderful wife, Natasha Mason. Hello, hello. And there she is. And we are back again, continuing on with our study of the book of Acts. So over the last couple days, over the last week, we have enjoyed Thanksgiving. Um, We've also enjoyed... um, Mm, The pukes. Everyone in the house being sick save myself, which I am most grateful for. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me from getting sick yet. Um, So we were going to do the podcast. I had done this yesterday by myself, and I just don't like doing podcasts by myself because it's it's hard to read and uh, especially for my brain to function. Um, currently I'm working in the, uh, e-commerce business. And so I, I work in internet sales and, um, I'm working, uh, today was day six of 12 hours in a row. So, um, I'm a little bit slow and struggling. Yeah. I'm a little bit slow in the mental capacities today. Um, so I had done the podcast yesterday. I was going to post it and then I changed my mind and I told her, I said, you need to get healthy cause you need to be there to help me do this. Cause, um, Uh, It gives me time to think. So we're going to come back into Acts chapter 4. Again, we're going to uh, read through the chapter like we normally do. We'll pause on some verses to uh, discuss context and things that are happening at the moment. So a quick brief review of what has happened so far in chapter 1, 2, and 3. We want to stick with this idea of this is an actual story. This is an actual event that took place. We know that Luke is writing this down, and he's giving us a step-by-step story of how the gospel came into being, how it was spreading around Jerusalem. So chapter one, we have Jesus ascending into heaven and he is telling them that he's sending the comforter to them. Uh, He's going to send the Holy Spirit to them and they wait in Jerusalem as they were commanded as the Holy Spirit comes on them as uh, cloven tongues of fire. And then that leads into uh, the day of Pentecost where they stand up and they preach to the crowds and uh, everyone hears in their own tongue, which is really important because it is a symbol and a sign that the gospel is going to go into all the world, even though they don't understand that quite yet. Um, so there were probably, what did it, what was it? 3000 people that were saved added to their number that day. So you have to remember this is right in Jerusalem. Um, probably, you know, it's shortly after Christ has died and and risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven. And so the first converts, the actual first converts were Jewish. Um, there's a lot we've talked about before about how we've always been told that, uh, they rejected Christ and they were very stubborn and all these different things about how the Jews, uh, they killed their Messiah. So they're, they're not really, um, important to God or in his plan anymore. And that stuff's, it's nonsense because we see the first church is actually a Jewish church. It's people who were believing, waiting on Messiah and who accepted that Jesus, as they knew Yeshua, was the Messiah they were waiting for. So then we come into chapter three and we have the story of the lame man who's laid at the gate. Beautiful. Uh, we see the, um, the picture of us in that lame man that were undone without Christ and without salvation. And in their speaking to him, they tell him about Jesus and they tell him they don't have any silver and gold of silver and gold. Have a none um, said Peter to the man. He tells him, uh, but such as I have give out thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Um, and the scripture says straightway, the man's legs are straightened and he's healed and he jumps up and he's rejoicing and he's, um, he's excited. He's really excited about what's happened to him. So he goes into the temple with the disciples there. And uh, he is cleaving onto them. He's holding onto them. He's hugging them and he's jumping up and down and he's proclaiming that God has healed him through 
Jesus and through um, the disciples speaking to him. So now we're standing in Solomon's porch. We've come to this point where we're standing in Solomon's porch and Peter is speaking to the Jews who are there. Um, it is a huge hallway and a huge area and it is full of these men. And they see the leaping man. They know who he is because everyone knows this man. They've seen him at the gate beautiful and they know what he's, what's, he's been laying there. We don't, you know. Um, so then they ask him in what name, who has done this? And they, the Peter tells them this is done through Jesus, the one you've crucified. So he lays that at their feet. You crucified him. And then the scripture goes on to say that, uh, they are a little bit, um, it pricks their hearts because they're, they're realizing, um, what has happened. So we come to chapter four and we're going to start off kind of picking up from the end of that story there where they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the name of Jesus and something is going to occur. We'll start with verse one. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. All right. So we'll pause right there. Verse 1 and 2. Verse thing right off the bat. So they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the, uh, what was so Jesus, they're preaching Jesus uh, was resurrected. And this is a problem. And a lot of people uh, maybe don't understand or you don't know, but the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the biggest contention between the two groups was the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection and the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. Now the Sadducees were in charge of keeping up the temple. So they were, that was their duties. Um, they were established, uh, 167, um, BC and they, uh, fell apart really in 70 CE or 80 current era. Um, after the temple was destroyed in 70 of our current era, three years later, the Sadducees fell apart. Um, but in the time that they were there, the Sadducees didn't believe uh, a couple things that were really interesting. They didn't believe that uh, there was a, such a thing as a spirit or spirits. They didn't believe in angels, um, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. So when they're in the temple and they hear Peter speaking, the one thing that sets them off is that they hear him saying that you have crucified Christ, but God has raised him from the dead. So this is what really gets their attention. Now you're talking about a resurrection, and we don't believe that. And so they come in and they come in with the, uh, the guard of the temple. There's a, a Roman guard there who's over the temple. Uh, they come in with him and they come with some others. So continue on. Continuing in verse 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. All right, so we have this, uh, they're preaching the gospel. Um, the Sadducees grab a hold of them. They want to throw them in jail. They want to hold on to them. So it's evening. That's what eventide is. It's the evening time of the day. Um, but it's still in their efforts. They did not curtail the gospel. So now you have 5,000 people who were in the temple that day, who saw the lame man, who heard what they were saying, who have decided to give their life over to Yeshua to convert, basically, um, which is really incredible. So now you have 8,000. If we go back to Pentecost, you have 8,000 new converts in Jerusalem, and the gospel is spreading. So continue on. And it came to pass on the morrow that the, their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. Kef Caiaphas. Right? Caiaphas. Caiaphas. <laughs> and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, 
by what power or by what name have you done this? So let's stop right there. So uh, we're coming out of Pentecost, right? We're coming out. So these these high priests and all these rulers and all these people are in Jerusalem for Pentecost, the celebration there. Um, and then you have them asking a question they already know the answer to, which is really interesting because they've heard them preaching Jesus, Yeshua, resurrected. So they know what name that they're preaching it, but they want them to say it. They want them to openly like on, confess it. on the record. Yes. So give us the record of who you're preaching here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is he made whole? Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. So, okay, so Peter is talking to him. He's automatically going right back at the Sadducees with the resurrection. This is the man that you've crucified. This is the man that God has raised up, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So he's coming back to the point of things they don't believe in. You don't believe in the resurrection. You didn't believe his Messiah, but these are the two things that have happened. And then, interestingly enough, we're going to go back to what has happened before, and we're going to see it with Paul, is that they're throwing the Old Testament. They're throwing Old Testament scripture at them. Psalms 18, verse 22 is where David is saying, and he's talking about the cornerstone that is rejected. And so what Peter is quoting here is scripture from Psalms 18, 22. He's going back to King David, and he He's saying, King David has said that you would reject the cornerstone, and look what you've done. You've rejected the Messiah. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Uh-oh, hold it. So that's a big one. So anytime we hear this verse, we hear this, this profession uh, in the Scripture. This is really, really important. Um, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And here we have Peter explaining or exclaiming, expounding upon the very exact same idea that Christ himself had spoke. Read that one more time. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Uh, that, is a, that is the clear I think that is one of the most clear and plain verses you could ever get that is going to explain to you that there is no other way to be saved. There's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. If we have ever been, if we ever got to a point to where we were, we think for a moment that we were saved by our good deeds or our good works or our relationship to our family or, our, or the fact that we go to church or the fact that we think we're good people. If we think those things save us, we are absolutely ignoring what this man is saying right here. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. I'm getting fired up. You don't look so tired uh, now. I know. It's, 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 I'm, I'm getting there because this is great. This is great. This is exactly what we need to know. If you're going to witness to someone, right, and they want to know, you know, how do I know? Then this is a verse you can go to. That's Acts 4.12. That's right. Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven. Woo. Go ahead. Continuing in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, 
What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. All right. So we're going to pause there real quick. A couple important things in the passage that she has just read. So one of the things you recognize immediately is that the religious leaders notice that these two men are unlearned. They're not educated. These are not religious men. Peter and John are not religious. They're not uh, well-trained. They're not theologians. They're not the high priest. They're not um, a Levite or in the Levitical uh, sect. They're not Sadducees and Pharisees. They're not the religious leaders, but they are astounded in their knowledge. And they recognize that their knowledge came from the time that they spent with Jesus. And the one thing we need to know, and and everybody needs to understand, and I've I've said this in my own personal life, um, that sometimes I would would rather listen to an old country preacher than a well-educated doctorate person who's been to college and massive universities and comes out and speaks. And, you know, I mean, I would much rather listen to someone who the world considers uneducated um, when it comes to the knowledge of the Lord and the knowledge of God, it doesn't, papers don't make a difference that, and don't get me wrong, studying, we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Absolutely. 100%. But these men are sitting here and they're, pro- they're proclaiming that Jesus is, is Messiah. They're also hitting them with the scripture. They're talking about King David. They're coming at them in a way that the, they recognize that, well, they must've learned this from somewhere. They got this from Jesus when they were walking with him and it was, it was noticeable. Um, so yeah, that's good. Go back to, go back to there and start down a little bit more. Go back to which part? Uh, somewhere in there. <laughs> Just pick it up somewhere. Um, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at yes, all. Yes. Nor teach go. in the name of Jesus. Right. So we come to this point to where they're, uh, they don't really know what to do, right? Everybody's seen the man who's healed and they know that they did it in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. They know this. Um, and so they're trying to figure out what to do with them. What do we do? Cause if, if we, if we hurt them, if we harm them, the, the crowds, the 5,000 who've, who've gotten saved, they're going to be really upset with us. So I tell you what we're going to do. Here's what we do. Mm, I got a good idea. Let's threaten them. Because that really works. If there's one thing, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a Christian and you want to know how to shut Christians up, I'm going to tell you right now, the number one thing that doesn't work is telling us um, that you're going to hurt us or or putting a threat on us because that does not squelch the gospel. Um, Millions of people have died over the centuries in the name of Jesus. They have done it. They've been burned at the stake. They've been crucified. They've been beheaded. People who have a relationship with God have no fear of anyone ever telling them you better knock that off or I'm going to do something, right? So, and this is all in a side note too. I'll just throw this in here. I did read the, uh, two days ago, the state of California is trying to figure out how they're going to uh, regulate a pastor's speech or his preaching because of the hate speech laws that are coming up. They don't want you to say anything that's going to hurt somebody's feelings or be offensive, right? So they're going to make, they want to make laws that protect people from you saying things. If you read Romans chapter one, that's going to hurt somebody's feelings really, really bad. Well, how are they going to get around the first amendment? I don't know, but that it doesn't seem when it comes down to this kind of thing. Well, they use it under hate speech laws. You can get around the first amendment. If you say this is hate speech, if it is something that, that, uh, they consider damaging or hurtful to other people, they can get around it. I mean, it, it happens all the time that mm-hmm. hate speech is, is going to be the big uh, thing we fight. Um, so really, honestly, the, the word of God itself, if you read it from front to back and you follow what it says, it's going to eventually be considered to be a hate book. 
But the simple truth of the matter is, is you're never going to stop a believer from telling others that you are sinners and you are lost and undone without Christ and you are headed to hell if you don't get saved. It's an ugly truth. It's not anything we joy in, but it's an absolute reality that people have to know. So here they are. They're doing the same thing. They're saying, you know what? We're going to, we'll, we'll threaten them. We'll tell, well, I, I don't know what they threatened them to do, but they just told them, stop talking about Jesus. Don't say that. Well, we're going to do something bad. So continue on. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was shewed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. All right, so Paul's there. So we've got some scripture here that's very interesting. They get together, they leave, they go to the brethren, they tell them they've threatened us. And so and all together in one accord, they're praising God and they're glorifying God. And they're uh, praying to the Lord and they're saying, you remember David, Lord, when David said that um, all these things were going to happen and occur. Here they are, Lord, the, the, the high priests and the Gentiles, and they've all come against your Messiah. They've all decided um, that they were going to do something. But it also says that they didn't do anything that God had not already foreordained. God had already decided decided that Christ was going to be crucified and he was going to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. People, I, you can argue this all day long and you can tell people there's, there are certain sects of people out there and groups of people out there who want to say that, um, well, you, you killed, you crucified your Messiah. You Jews killed your Messiah. You, you, you murdered your Messiah. And the truth of the reality is you did nothing that God had not foreordained. They were the instrument and tool by which it occurred. The Romans actually put him to death if you want to be picky about it. But God himself had decided this was going to happen. It was going to happen and it wasn't, no one was going to stop it. That's what we talked about in one of our other podcasts is that Satan himself was trying to stop it from happening. And no one was going to stop it because God had already decided this was what needed to be done to reconcile man to himself. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of these things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. So right here, this is really important. Um, so when you read this, this is really interesting because the first, uh, you're looking at the first church, right? The first 8,000 people here in Jerusalem and they're getting together and the scripture says that after they've believed, they've decided to sell what they have. You had some rich people, you had some poor people, you had people of all kinds of different wealth and things and they were selling their lands and their homes and everything they had and they were, um, they were dispersing it among themselves. They were giving it to the apostles and they were letting them disperse it to everyone so they would have some equally and the bigger the bigger picture here is not uh, some people would key in on that and say the social side of this is making sure that everybody's taken care of that's not really that is what happened here but the bigger picture here is is that this is a um, this is a picture of rejection of the world that's what this is they this this is here in the scripture so that we can realize that everything that we are is in Christ alone that nothing not the monetary not the physical nothing we own nothing we purchase nothing we buy Nothing we have should ever mean anything to us to the point that we would not be willing to give it up for God. And that's what they're doing here. And this is why it's in the scriptures to say that after they've believed and they've received the Holy Spirit and they've received him, they decided we're going, I don't need this world. This world is not my home. I don't care anymore. We're going to give all these things up. We're going to sell it all. We're going to make sure that everybody is taken care of. And laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as his as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the end of this chapter closes out with uh, the gentleman's name there again. Joseph. Okay, um, so he has—he's a Levite. He's of the—he's of the tribe of Levi. Uh, this is really important at the end of the scripture um, because uh, the Levite. Uh, a couple things here: they were not ever allowed to own land. They didn't own land um, because they were dispersed among the people. They were—they were. They were um, Basically, they worked in the temple. There were two different groups in the Levi. There were the high priest, and there were those who worked in the temple. Um, and this gentleman was a worker in the temple. He uh, was religiously trained, and he was um, he knew the Torah, and he knew the religious ceremonies and all those things. Um, and and it, the scripture is pointing out what tribe he's from because it needs you to understand that even the tribe of Levi, where the high priest would come from, subjected themselves. He subjected himself to Messiah Yeshua. He was very influential. Um, the scriptures says there that he sold land he had in Cyprus. Um, some, some of the um, commentaries on this passage would say um, perhaps he married someone from Cyprus because again, the, the Levi didn't own land. Um, and, but he was wealthy. He was well, he was knowledgeable. And here he is selling his property and he's doing just like everyone else. And so what this is, is this is a picture of those who were supposed to be in the priesthood subjecting themselves to our high priest, which is Christ Jesus. We only have one high priest. Um, and so here you have the priesthood subjecting themselves to the priesthood of Yeshua, which is ending out this chapter that he brings the money to them. So in the next chapter, we're going to go into Acts chapter five. We'll go into um, some really interesting reading here, a situation that's going to occur uh, with people who are selling land and property, and they're trying to lie to God. And uh, I think that's going to be an interesting uh, study because I think we have a lot of that today in our world. Uh, people who are trying to uh, lie to God and tell God, yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing this for you. So uh, it turns Has out. Hashtag giving up the ghost. Yes. 
yes, this <laughs> this turns out very badly for these folks um, in in chapter five. So uh, really, don't get attached to them too long because they're not going to be around. Uh, anyway, we want to thank you again for listening to uh, the study of the Book of Acts. We hope you're enjoying this. Um, it's it's the last week or so. I've been working a lot. It's very difficult at times to find time to really study and get a lot of information on some of these chapters. Um, but it really is the Lord is, is blessing us with uh, being able to do this. So we want to encourage you to continue to listen, share these uh, Bible studies with your friends. The more people that join in, the, the better off, you know. Um, quickly off the top of my head, I want to say uh, thank you for listening. We've had almost, uh, we were on, what were we at last month? 19. 1936, I think, listens, uh, which is uh, 1936, which is about um, 1934, more than we thought would listen to us. <laughs> so we want to thank you for that because it's an opportunity we see. We've got, I mean, this month I saw we had someone in Mozambique listen to the podcast, which is fantastic. Um, we want the gospel to go out and to reach the world. The majority of our, our listeners are coming from the United States, and we love you and we bless you and we thank you for listening. Um, and we really get excited when we see people from around the world giving us an opportunity to speak to their heart, to speak Jesus and Yeshua to them, um, because we are a family. We are the body of Christ, and uh, we are his children. We are the children of the Most High God, Yahweh. And uh, we really uh, love doing this for you guys, and we really appreciate your um giving us that opportunity to speak with you um, whenever you listen. Uh, so hopefully we'll catch you again next week. If we stay healthy, uh, we'll try and get this out on Tuesday, just like our plan originally was. Um, and Sorry, we will come y'all. back. We will come back with Acts, Acts chapter five, if I could say it. Um, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.